0: One of them is, group is, we're talking about very clear decisions of obedience, right? Where God makes it very clear the things that we are to do and to not do, and we have the choice whether or not to follow that, right? Part two moves on to, what about all these other thousands of decisions that we make in a week? How, How do we make godly decisions as we follow through all those different things in our day? And so before I move on to this part two, I want to do just a little bit of review back in part one because there's some foundational things that I want to make sure everybody understands and that you understand that I understand as I'm talking about some of this stuff, all right? So the first one is this. In Ephesians two eight, how are we saved? By grace, through faith, and it's not from ourselves, but it's a gift from God Not by works. The important thing that everybody remembers here is as I talk about decisions, it's really easy to get that mixed up with our works. And that has nothing to do with our salvation. All right? Very clear that that's the case. Okay? Now, these next two things I want you to say with me. All right? First one, here we go. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more. All right? Second half of that, say it with me, there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. See, this isn't about us, all right? It's about God. And so what's bottom line out of all of part one review really is this is not about performance or the behavior that we do in order to earn something from God. It's not about that in our obedience, but rather obedience is behavior because of what God has already given us. Okay? A little bit more of review. God will never ignore our sin. Ever. There are times where we think maybe we got away with it. We didn't. God saw it, God knows of it, God never ignores it. Disobedience to God always has a cost. Sometimes we may not even know what it is. It may be a missed blessing. It may be a missed opportunity. Uh, regardless of whether we recognize that cost at that time or not, there is always a cost to disobedience to God. Third one our sin, like all sin, is never worth the price. And the funny thing is, it's always really simple to see that with other people's sin. Right? I mean, you look at it and you go, God, what a moral. how do he do that? God. Didn't he know that wasn't worth it? It's always easy seeing that in other people's sin. It's the same truth for our own, right? And finally, uh, our sin grieves God. And it's for our own good to turn away from it. A lot of times I think we like to think that God sees us sinning, you know, he looks at Mike down and goes, oh, Mike, buddy, you know, come on, you'll get it. That's not how it is. He's not smiling and shirking it off. It grieves God when we sin. And it's for our best that we avoid it. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. It's not about him controlling us. It's for our good. So, that's all kind of bad news. What about the good news that goes along with that? Here's how we deal with this right here. First is this, we have God's grace. Ephesians 2, already read it. First John 19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have God's power. Second Peter 1, 3, because it seems overwhelming. How do we, how do we be obedient? How do we make good decisions? Right here. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He equips us to do that in his power. Finally, God's power gives us victory. 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Jude 1.24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless. Great joy. Amen? That's review of part one. Right? So primarily about obedience. What about kind of those seemingly routine decisions that we make on a regular basis? So, you know, high stress... Uh, high sense of urgency sort of careers, you look at, say, the military, uh, first responders, police departments, fire departments, right? Um, Even sports figures. There are certain things that they train on a routine basis so that when the time comes, regardless though they can adapt them to the specific circumstances, they train day in and day out so that the response is a reflex, not a thought. It's a thought that just kind of happens automatically. A good example would be flying an airplane. Highest areas of risk for accidents tend to be takeoffs and landings. One of the big issues once you get off the ground is you've got to pay attention so that you don't bring the nose up too far and you have enough gas, going, enough throttle applied to keep the airplane flying. If you get either one of those too far out of whack the airplane stops flying. Literally, it'll be going along, you turn it too far up, and it stalls. The very thing you have to do to survive that stall close to the ground is the very last thing you want to do. And that is, you push the yoke forward, point the nose to the ground. And the closer you are to the ground, the faster you need to do that to get the plane flying again so that you don't crash. So... What are some things that we can do in our principles as we look at how we make our daily decisions, that some of these processes, if we train ourselves, become more of a reflex as part of our decision-making, as opposed to us having to slow down a minute, and wait, Mike gave me eight C's, Which were, the, what were what were those things? It becomes a part of how we live our life on a daily basis, how we make our decisions almost every time. To the point where they actually can happen even in the background and you're not conscious of it. Isaiah 30:21 21 said, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. I've experienced that. I've experienced where I wanted to do something, even if it isn't an issue of disobedience. But I'm wanting to head my way, and yet I'm hearing, Mike, this way, turn this way. It's a real factor in our lives. And at that point, I'm faced with the decision of whether or not I'm going to trust God for what he has that is best for me. Or am I going to go chasing down what I think is going to make me happy? Because really, as you look at this stuff, it's, that's the tension, isn't it? As we make our decisions, God's best for us, or we want what we want. And we don't really care what God has for us. I don't know if you can clarify that. My favorite was the eight ball when I was a kid. You know, ask it. Oh, that's not the answer I want. Shake up the eight ball, ask it again, right? And You got the Ouija board, some of those other things. But the point is in that slide is, you know, life shouldn't be this happenstance, flip of a coin, look at the eight ball, you know, take a guess, bouncing off the bumpers of life as we go down in our decision making. Although every person's life consists of a sum total of innumerable big and little decisions, think about how many you make in a day. We can be confident that God will help us make the right decisions. Proverbs 28, 26 says, A man is a fool to trust himself, but those who use God's wisdom are safe. James 1, 5, 6, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea Driven and tossed by the wind, you know. As followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we have the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews thirteen five. So we can be assured that the Lord will guide us as to whether to turn left or to turn right when it comes to decision making. And so the challenge is: a, will we ask? B, will we listen? So try not to read ahead. Just note that there are eight of them up there. We had some transition issues as we uh, imported this. I think what's really important, not just what these eight C's are, it's very important to understand that, A, there's no specific order to any of them as far as how they may be applied. And maybe even more importantly, any one of them uh, on their own can lead to bad decisions as well. You want to try to integrate as many of these as you can in your decision-making process. So let's start with communication. One of the ways that God communicates with us is through his word, right? And we can communicate with God through prayer. So when it comes to making decisions, much of what we need to know is obvious, black and white in Scripture, right? Questions like whether or not to lie on a job application. That's pretty obvious. Should we marry a Christian? Should we care for our aging parents? None of those should require an in-depth scriptural study and all-out eight-point process, right? Those are laid out pretty clear. Not a whole lot of error in interpretation for what we're called to do in those areas, right? But... The decisions for which job application we should send out, maybe. Or who is the right Christian for us to marry? Or what is the, the proper, honorable, compassionate way to care for our aging parent? Those things um, aren't specific in Scripture, but there are biblical principles that are really clear. An example would be, if I looked at, say, Ephesians 6, right? It says, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right.'" Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So if I look at that principle of honoring my parents, honoring my mother, and if I, say, had to put her in some sort of uh, extended care facility, if I'm trying to figure out the cost, and I'm weighing how much money is maybe going to be left for me as an inheritance, so maybe I shorten it up over here a little bit, as opposed to the driving factor of how I care for my mother based on how can I best honor my mother, right? The choice between those two is clear because of the biblical principle, right? What about prayer? That's the other side of communication, how we communicate with God. That's also vital for making decisions. First Peter 5 says uh, in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So you suppose this anxiety includes the stress and strain sometimes that we have as we're trying to make a good decision in our life? Sure it does. Does God care about that? Absolutely he does. And so we're told to cast our cares on him, to pray for him. God has promised us over and over in Scripture that he cares about our well-being, and certainly he will answer our prayer for helping making decisions about things such as job, college, wife, ministry, etc. Besides communication, God uses other principles to provide direction. In fact, these others are critical because any one of them by itself, including Scripture, can be misused. God's word is infallible. However, us as interpreters, sometimes not so much, right? See, we're pretty good at making the Bible confirm just about any decision we make if we go digging. And we, you know, interpretation's a funny thing. So, these other seven principles that are up here are important to help cross check, not God's word, but cross checking our interpretation of what God is directing us to do to help us move towards the right decision. So, what about convictions? We must remain sensitive to the inner convictions of the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Christ will have these convictions because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer, as Jesus says in John fourteen twenty-six. The convictions from the Holy Spirit will always be in line with God's perfect will for us and are therefore crucial when it comes to making the right decisions. John sixteen thirteen states that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The problem, of course, is confusing the convictions of the Holy Spirit with what we want, right? So we're really good at convincing ourselves that God is leading us to make certain decisions when in reality we've kind of created this self-made divine stamp of approval on what we want it to be, right? How many times maybe have you heard somebody come up to you or maybe you even said it and, you know, as time goes by you go, maybe that wasn't accurate. But, you know, that expression, well, the Lord told me. Not that He doesn't sometimes, right? But many times, uh, the Lord told me statement has been used to mask the reality of, well, I told the Lord, <laughs> right? Convictions of the Holy Spirit must always be carefully examined in the light of the other principles to help protect against self deception. Common sense. It's a principle that we generally take for granted, though sometimes it seems really hard to find anymore, isn't it? And yet it's definitely something that God has given us to make decisions. In fact, most decisions in life are small and are made primarily by using common sense. But remember, the turn of major events sometimes hinges on the tiniest decisions in life. Great example. 1977, I was 15 and this girl calls me up and says, and I just went on a date with this girl, by the way, so obviously it didn't go so well. She goes, hey, I know this, I know, I know this girl. And uh, so this girl had just been on a date is setting me up on a date, told me everything I needed to know. Anyway, she goes, there's this girl, and, uh, you know, you want to go on a date with her. No big deal, right? I'm 15. I'm going on a blind date. Never been on a blind date before. Never been on one since. But 40 years later, there she sits, right? Big changes in life, big directions in life can many times be made by this total chain of events that you have no idea. And they're all one little decisions at a time. Like, are you going to go on a blind date? So, it's important that we let God fit these small decisions into the overall pattern of our lives. God has blessed us with common sense, and it's our responsibility as much as possible to use it for wise decision-making about the common, everyday matters of life. Composition. How God made us. That's what composition is all about. And our God-given design, our likes and our dislikes, our abilities, our gifts, is actually a means by which God uses to guide us in some of our decisions. For example, if you like kids and have the natural ability to relate to and to communicate with children or teenagers, God may be calling you to invest in youth. You owe me $20 for that. <laughs> no, I'm not that guy. And, and if I don't follow... The way that God has wired me and equipped me, not only am I not going to enjoy serving, and there are times it's not always fun, but more importantly, if I were doing youth, for example, most of the time, the kids aren't going to be blessed by my ministry either, right? So it's important that we operate within the areas that God has wired us. Now, that's not to say I shouldn't try it and see right? Because people get pretty surprised sometimes. It shocks me. You may see it where people go, I, I have no idea what my gifts are. And everybody around them is looking at them like, are you crazy? It's obviously this because of how they respond in certain circumstances. And so uh, it's just important to understand how God has wired you. And first Peter four ten tells us that we should use whatever gift we have received to serve others. Administering God's grace in its various forms, God can best use us when we are willing to serve as He has designed us to. The next item is counsel. The counsel of other believers is another asset God gives us for making good decisions. And in Proverb eleven fourteen says, "For lack of guidance, a, gen- a nation falls, but victory is won through." many advisors. That remains true in personal decision-making as well. Mature, godly Christians can point us in the right direction and help us make good, godly decisions. It's important to notice in that uh, proverb line where it says, "Help." it's assured through the counsel of many advisors. And I think there's two reasons that uh, that is exceptionally true. One is, depending on what it is, if I really want to do it, I might pick the counsel that I think is going to most likely agree with me, right? Or, you know, whether I want to do it or, you know, I'm looking for the guy that gives me the answer I want, as opposed to making sure that I ask a few people, uh, A, especially if I know they care enough about me to tell me what I don't want to hear. And also, if I can find counsel with people that have experience in that area. They've been through that decision before. It may end up a different result, but it's definitely worthwhile talking with them about it. So we want to get counsel from other followers of Christ as we make our decisions. Circumstances. I actually had the hardest time with this one on how to pin this one down. Um, You know, if you believe God is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, Is there any circumstance that escapes his notice or is out of his control? No. There's nothing that happens by chance, I don't think, and that includes every last detail of our lives. However, a lot of times as you look at a circumstance, especially if it's stressful, emotional, or any of those things, you're focusing in on this one little thing that's impacting you. Have you ever seen those pictures where they take some story and they take the snapshot and it looks like something is going on. But then they zoom out and you get the full picture and what's happening is exactly 180 degrees from what the little view is. That's what makes circumstances difficult because we don't necessarily see the whole thing. But you can't ignore them either. Right And so uh, Haddon Robinson, in his book "Decision Making," by the book, I think, makes a great balance and a great point about circumstances. He says, "Circumstances, whether good or bad, do not determine the will of God. They often bring us to the point of decision, but we must still decide and carry out our predetermined spiritual priorities. Circumstances must be weighed if we are going to make good decisions but they shouldn't be given more emphasis than they deserve. Clear as mud? They're important to consider, but don't let them drive you too far. Again, like all these other things, if you tie them in and cross-check what you think you're being led to in your decision with some of the other elements, it should help clarify that for you. What about control? Control. funny thing in America, we see control as such a negative aspect, don't we? Right? Because we want our freedom. We want to do what we want to do. God's control, though, if we believe that he is an all-knowing, all-good God that wants the very best for us, that should be a good thing for us to consider, right? And so, you know, there are times when God steps in and takes control of the decision-making process in no uncertain terms. In some situations, there is no question that God is indicating what decision he wants us to make. Thirteen years ago, um, we had come down from Alaska. We'd lived in Alaska at that point for almost 19 years. And we came down and we bought some property out by uh, the trout farm with the intention of coming back in about, I guess, five years from now. We had no intentions of being here at least now. And so one morning I woke up and it was absolutely crystal clear to me that God was telling me, God said, sell your house, Mike and Sue, both quit your jobs, pack up and move to your property out by the trout farm and you'll figure out what you do when you get there. Hmm. So, I mean, I was pretty confident about that. Because it wasn't really something I had even thought about doing, and I sure, you know, quit my job, sell my house, and leave wasn't. We had great jobs in Alaska. So Sue got up. I don't even think I thought about it for a day or two. Sue got up, and I sat her down. I said, hey, I got one for you. I I think God's saying we ought to sell our house, quit our jobs, move down to Washington. And I don't think it was five seconds. She said, okay. Wow. And so then we had... Was Tanya 7th grader then? Okay, 8th grade Tanya. Lived in Alaska her whole life. Knew she was never going to leave Alaska her whole life. We, we trolled that past her. No way, no how, Dad. I am not moving down there. And I'm not taking a rebelling 8th grader down either. And so... One of the principles, at that point I was working on staff at a church in Alaska, and uh, one of their principles was, in big decisions like that as elders, they didn't move until they had agreement that there was a unified decision, even if maybe everybody wasn't 100%, let's do it absolutely. But they were in agreement that it, it made sense at the very least. And so, Sue and I that day after we talked with Tanya prayed and we said, God, you know, (laughs) we're not going to set her up for failure and rebellion. And so, we are asking you to change her heart. And we didn't say another word to her about it. She wasn't there when we prayed for her. And three days later on her own, she came to us and said, Hey, we're ready to move. I'm ready to move. So, I had a unanimous front at home. I didn't really have any scripture. I prayed a lot about it. Sue and I, we didn't have any check gut checks in there, so I checked with some of my friends I worked with. Uh, most of them were like, you go, what? And then the staff director at our church said, what are you going to do in podunk little afraid of Washington? What is God going to do with you there? I go, I don't know. And so we didn't really run into any help there as far as if I look at that and go look at my counsel. I didn't really get any help there either direction. We put our house up for sale and it sold in four days. In a blizzard in December to the youth pastor, the church just down the road from the church I was at. So you got some circumstances that were all working out. But ultimately, in the end, I have to say, at least for myself, that I mean, I would have weighed in if someone would have said, Boy, Mike, you know, I really don't think so, you know, and give me some, you know, reasons, I suppose. But I knew that I knew that I knew that God was calling us to move here. And I did not have one doubt about selling our house, quitting my job, Sue quitting her job, us packing up whatever we could fit in a 20-foot container. We didn't have a house. We didn't even have a road or power when we first made those decisions. But I absolutely knew it was going to work. And so now, 13 years later, it's been the greatest adventure of our lives. We haven't worked read it a bit. Love it here. Love you all. Love you here. Um, So you never know what God's going to do. And there are times in all of this stuff where God overrides it all. But if he's going to do that, you're going to know it. And so have the courage to follow where he's going to take you. That's where all the best adventures are. Finally, the last one I added in here is I just call it closeness because it starts with a C and I know Craigo likes having them all start with the same letter. Right? And so if, if I look at closeness, my point in that is, let's say I go through all this and I'm really coming up and, you know, it could go really either way. There's no strong, you know, connection with either side of the decision. Then the next point of that for me at least is, will this decision draw me closer to God Will it give me opportunity in my ministry, for example? Or will this decision take me away from God, either in my personal relationship with him, or maybe it's a job where my schedule gets so darn busy, all of a sudden I I can't congregate with you as I should. I can't do the ministry responsibilities that God has called me to do. So that's what I mean by closeness. And so that's kind of a, The number eight, last of that. And so if you probably picked up on it by now, this is kind of a strange message, and it's really a strange message to give because I, I don't really have in all of this, there's really no definitive, I'm a black and white, this is how you do it. This isn't a process, as you notice. There's principles to be applied in all of these. Right There's no order to it. There's no necessarily right and wrong. So why am I wasting my time talking to you all about stuff? I can't even tell you this is it. Well, I think these all tie together into a really important principle. And it's this. I think this is a, that's a little stick, man. I, I'm not a great artist, but that's me in the middle in that little blue circle. I'm waving at you, see? And so... I think this is a fair representation of how most of us live our lives day in and day out, right? We're sitting here, and I have this little piece of my life that's parenting, right? I have this piece of this pie up here where I'm dealing with my job, my community, my friends, my spouse. You see the problem with that, though? God's just a piece of my life. And so when we get into this decision-making stuff, we're so fast to go, well, that's just a basic decision. That doesn't matter. God doesn't care about that. I don't need to ask God about that. That's, That's living like that. God has never said anywhere in Scripture that I just want to be a piece of your life. On Sunday, from 9 to 11. This is what it's supposed to look like. We're living our lives, not us at the center. I don't know any other way to Graphically represent this. But the point is that all of the things that we do as a child or as a parent or in our community, those are simply the context from which God has called us and uses us to glorify him, which is the whole reason we're still here. John 15 says, Starting at verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Listen to this. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But for apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything else we do is a waste of time unless we live like that. So my challenge and application today to you I'm going to translate John fifteen. And I want you to think about all these different areas for yourself. My translation to John fifteen is this Find the meaning of life in Him. Find your value and confidence in Him. Find your purpose and direction in him. Find the source for all spiritual achievement in him. Find the strength to live each moment of every day in him. Find the wisdom to navigate the many turns of your life in him. Find forgiveness for all of your sins in Him. Find the satisfaction of boundless joy in Him. Find the most satisfying life for all eternity in Him. That's how you make your decisions. Wisdom versus want, that's the choice we struggle with. Worship team, come on up.